Awesome. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this video on innovations in radiation therapy for head and neck cancer patients. And it's one of a series of videos all about innovations to improve quality of life and to improve survival. And these videos are hosted by St Vincent's Hospital Sydney and the Kinghorn Cancer Centre. As I said, my name's Julie and seven years ago, I was treated for stage four oropharyngeal cancer. And that's a cancer in my tonsils, tongue and throat. And that's an example of a head and neck cancer. And, and I'm here today. I was treated with radiation and chemo. Our purpose is to raise awareness about head and neck cancer and also to give you high quality evidence-based information. And I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting to you today on Aboriginal land, the land of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, and to pay my respects to Elders past and present and to emerging leaders. And I want to acknowledge that Aboriginal people and some Torres Strait Islander people are disproportionately affected by the head and neck cancers that we're talking about in this video. So our focus is radiation therapy, and I've got a radiation oncologist, a dietitian and a speech pathologist, and we'll tell you about what's the good news about what's improving our survival and lessening the side effects, and also what's on the horizon. Hi, I'm Hans Seed from Camden, south of Sydney. In 2011 and 2013, I had surgeries and extensive radiations to my throat. To all the surgeons and oncologists and nurses, to you, I'm forever grateful and thank you for saving my life and making me a survivor beyond five. But three years ago, my body started to break up and I had problems. So my question to the panel is, is there such a thing today or is it any plans to introduce a multidisciplinary team for after the treatment for patients with complications to help them to have quality of life, not just to survive, but the quality of life is important. And I would hope if that's the case, we can go from instead of being beyond five to beyond 10. Thank you. So let's begin with a radiation oncologist. So Dion, welcome. Can you introduce yourself and Explain a little bit about your history looking after head and neck cancer patients like me and what your job is now. Well, I've been working in the area of, of head and neck cancer management for the last 17 years as a radiation oncologist. And I've worked in various parts of Sydney um, and previously, and I did my training in South Australia um, and I hail from Tasmania. So um, recognise that there are lots of differences for patients, whether they come from a metro large metropolitan area or from regional areas and face enormous challenges. Or in the days I trained in South Australia, there was no radiotherapy in the Northern Territory. So patients flying thousands of kilometres to, to have their treatment. And it's fair to say that uh, in terms of challenges faced by patients and family, access for rural and remote and some outer suburban people in Australia and New Zealand can still be an issue? Absolutely. And especially in an area like head and neck cancer, which isn't one of the really common cancers. And so management and management is very complex and very multidisciplinary. This cancer cannot be managed in isolation by a single clinician. It must have multidisciplinary 
management of these cancers. And so accessing that from a regional or remote area is a real challenge and, and causes a lot of stress for patients and their carers in particular. I want to hear from you what you see as the, the absolute key messages when it comes to innovations that are improving survival and quality of life, particularly obviously on radiation therapy. And as I understand it, you believe that getting the right treatment to the right patient is critical and that that is only possible with a multidisciplinary team where the team members have got specialist experience with head and neck cancer patients. Can you explain what all that means and why it matters? These cancers are not the most common cancers. They are in a very challenging area for people and function is hugely important. So Everybody we, talks about we, function. We, what we is want, this function? Well, we want, we want people to be able to talk and well, to, to be able to eat well, um, to be able to communicate well, obviously, is much more than just speech. And, and they're the things that we can have an enormous impact on. And sometimes we do because the cancer's advanced and we can't avoid that. But we want to make sure that we're giving the patients the best chance of cure with the best function uh, in terms of outcome. And we have to weigh those things up. And no one of us can really make that decision. It needs to be made where there's discussion between a radiation oncologist, a head and neck surgeon, speech pathologist, dietitian, uh, nurses, uh, palliative care physicians sometimes, um, uh, in, with support from the radiologists and, and pathologists. And medical oncologists, the, the chemo and people? Absolutely. And, um, and only when we have all those people in the room can we really come to, you know, I think, form the right decision for that patient. Not always, you know, the patient doesn't always have to be there and in some cases they will be, but they, they obviously need to have been well assessed and, and, their, and the information about that patient brought to that meeting for discussion. Now, there are some very early cancers, you know, a very small uh, cancer on, on, the, on the tongue maybe one or on the gum maybe one that can be dealt with by, just, by the surgeon, um, but the majority of cancers should be discussed in a multidisciplinary team setting. Okay, and can I ask you, because our focus is on innovations in radiation therapy, is the use of a multidisciplinary team an innovation? And if so, what improvements have you seen for the patient as a result of that? Like, how long have these teams been about and does everybody have access to one? Well, pleasingly, Julie, these teams have actually been about for a long time. And in fact, in head and neck cancer, they're really... In most institutions, they'd be the most long-standing multidisciplinary team. And they often function, actually, much more cohesively than other multidisciplinary teams, partly because they've been around for so long. Um, but it's very important that each of us that attend those meetings brings the innovations in our area to those meetings to be weighing up the pros and cons with you know new techniques. Can we offer a better outcome with non-surgical management versus surgical or the other way around? Or how do we, how do we actually combine a new, uh, an innovation, whether it's a change in some sort of therapy um, um, or a new, a, 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 a new um, surgical um, technique. technique and so on, um, 
But we can only really do that because this is multidisciplinary. It requires often more than just that one modality if we're making sure we're bringing those innovations in in a very coordinated way. Let's turn now then to the innovations in your particular area of expertise, which is radiation therapy, because you're a radiation oncologist. I, I want to hear from you, what are the key innovations in that area that are good for the head and neck cancer patient? And for people watching this who've never seen a bunker where we're standing now, what is this room? And illustrate what you're going to say by showing us where it happens. Well, maybe I'll start by telling you about this machine, Julie. So this is a linear accelerator or a LINAC, and this is the, the radiation treatment machine. So the powerful X-rays come out of out of here, and um, and then go into the patient. This machine, the, the X-rays are just like X-rays that people have for when they're having a chest X-ray or a CT scan, except they're more powerful. They don't feel anything while they're having them. Um, and then whilst the X-rays are coming out of here, the machine is rotating round, and that allows us to very accurately deliver dose, the high dose to the area that needs to be delivered, that's the tumour, um, and to provide or, or to ensure that there's a much lower dose to the surrounding areas. And that's really the thing that over the past decade and a half has changed a lot in radiation therapy, where we can avoid those very important structures that are so important for function that aren't involved by the cancer. We want to keep the dose as low as possible. And is that on things like uh, salivary glands or the bone where our teeth is? Tell us what you're Absolutely. trying to miss. In past uh, times, radiotherapy caused people to have long-term severe dry mouth. Now, they still get a dry mouth, uh, but in most people that's temporary, and, and, but still some will get, depending where their tumour was, uh, a, a degree of permanency to, to the dry mouth. But we have big salivary glands that... Um, are the things that produce our saliva and we want to avoid those where possible, where it's safe to avoid them without avoiding the tumour because, of course, we don't want to avoid the tumour. And the other things we're interested are important are the dose to the jawbone. So the, 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 we know that um, in the long term there can be significant problems if there's a high dose to the, to the jawbone. Also to the swallowing muscles and, and they're really critical as to how people in the long term, people like yourself that have had a high dose of radiation, what they can eat, how much enjoyment or how much trouble they can have just with that, you know, such important function of, of eating every day, swallowing their saliva. So are you saying that a key area of innovation is the increased precision of the targeting of the X-ray beam to the tumour and also the reduction in the X-ray beam to healthy tissue? Absolutely. And, you know, but we, we're not there completely. Um, there's still dose that's given to areas, a lower dose and getting the x-rays in. There's a lower dose to, to some of these areas and we'd like to bring those down further. Um, an, an area that I see that we'll be moving towards is where each day the, the actual area getting treatment is that the patient first has a scan on a machine like this or there's a new machine called an, where, where there's an MRI scanner uh, attached to the linear accelerator where it can actually visualise how big the tumour is on that day and what shape it is and, and actually create a treatment plan for that patient on that day. Whereas at present, um, we, we start with a treatment plan and 
We will change it if there are significant changes in, in a patient's anatomy. But on the whole, what we start with is what we end with in terms of what we're treating. So an area of innovation that's occurring right now, because as I understand it, uh, 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 St Vincent's Hospital is going to launch an MRI LINAC this year. That's an area that's already begun for some cancers, but when do you hope it might be able to help head and neck cancer patients? There's already a spot for it, and that's those patients who come back having previously had radiotherapy and need even higher precision to a small area. I think that's a place for them. The, the MR uh, LINAC uh, treated its first patient this week, and um, that wasn't a head and neck cancer patient, but I, I think over the next um, six months, we will have our first um, head and neck cancer patient on there. Um, but there's still a lot of work. That's a new technology with uh, a lot of work to do to further develop it to the point where it would be the standard treatment machine for a head and neck cancer patient. At present, um, really, the, the, the key treatment is that delivered by this machine. I want to ask you more about side effects and uh, the possibility of, of reducing them or even helping people who have side effects now. But first of all, I have to ask you about the mask that's behind you. Do you mind just showing it to us and explaining why it is so important now? So this is a rigid plastic mask. There is some movement in it for patients and it does have cut out around the mouth. Um, it is obviously designed that patients can see through it and they can breathe through it, but it does keep them very still. And so we deal with millimetre accuracy. If the patient is a, a millimetre different to the, the, the position the treatment was planned in, then the bed needs to move that millimetre. Um, and we can't get that accuracy without some degree of immobilisation. So I know, Julie, you like to call this the safety mask, and, and that's what it really is. It's about protecting the areas that are really important, protecting the eyes and those salivary glands, but at the same time, making sure that we don't miss that tumour. And, and with old radiotherapy, where it wasn't, as, uh, it wasn't as accurately delivered, there was a lot more give. You could, you, you're much less likely to miss the tumour if the patient moved a bit. But, it, but the problem of that radiation therapy was that it, it caused a, a lot of dose to go to areas we didn't need and a lot of the side effects that, that people will read about and hear about for patients that were treated you know, more than a decade ago with old techniques. This mask is made, um, it, it's heated up and pulled over the patient. We recognise it's really difficult for some patients and we have to provide them lots of support. I certainly now never, never get a patient to agree to radiotherapy 